0: Hello, friends, and welcome to In The Know, your 25-minute deep dive into all things employee experience. I'm Josh Felix, Director of Solution Design here at Exonify, taking over for JD, who's speaking at a conference in Orlando this week. Really excited to be here, as well as seeing so many friendly faces in the crowd. A great friend from KPMG, Jagreep Brar, welcome, is joining us all the way from India. I also see Aaron Wilkins from Ingram Micro, Dan Kaufman from ADP, welcome, I'm glad you all could join us today. Today, we're going to find out why companies waste so much money on training programs and don't get results. It turns out the key to ROI and LD comes down to one word, sustainment. We'll be joined by Bob Mosier, founding partner and chief learning evangelist at Apply Synergies, who will explain how we can get a lot more value from training while disrupting the workflow a lot less. But first... <music> I had the opportunity for an amazing personal development opportunity as a guest of my wife's company last week in San Diego. Yes, that was all the fun things we were able to experience, but when it came to the time for learning, I wanted to share some of the highlights from the week, as well as a lesson learned. I took a top three approach to this, and out of the 30 plus speakers and presentations that I took part in, my top three were Jesse Cole, the owner of the Savannah Bananas, Matthew Lunn a writer, animator, director, most notably known at Pixar, as well as The Simpsons, and then Commander Rorick Denver, an actor, author, former United States Navy SEALs commander. How many of you have ever been to a Savannah Bananas game, or for that matter, even heard of the Savannah Bananas? A game that was created to focus on the fans. It takes the pastime of baseball and brings it into the new world. Yes, I know, some of you may not be fans, but all I have to say is give it a try. So check out some of these rules, the way that they've changed the game of baseball to be really fans first. So I wanted to share a brief story from Jesse Cole, the owner of Fans First Entertainment and the Savannah Bananas. His entire staff's focus, as well as his, is the three E's to creating raving fans he focuses on the idea of where of what to eliminate engage and empower so when we think about those three things you know just look at these slides the things that he thinks about removing friction from fans experience you know engaging deeply with the fan you know he instructs each of his players before they give an autograph when they're asked for an autograph they actually ask the fan for their autograph first how do we engage with those fans, he always says. And then how do we empower? How do we empower action? So, of course, if you know me, I said, what if we took this concept of three E's and asked ourselves, what would that look like in the l d space? Well, I did just that. Let's take a look. The three E's of learning. Let's stick with the concept of eliminate, engage, empower, but begin the translation within the subconcepts into learning. So when we think about this and we think about the breakdown of what this really looks like and how it's doing, how can we eliminate friction within learning? What are we doing to create a better experience for our learners? Are we focused on the long-time learner or the short-term friction? Have you recently put yourself in the shoes of the learner? Then we get into engaging. How deeply are we engaging with our learner? Or are we just checking the box? Are we listening and then responding with creativity? What if you see a great moment? How are you sharing that with your team? And then the empower. Always having one more thing for the learner. One more experience. So if we're doing push, how can they pull when we're thinking about that? If it's a blended learning experience, is it truly blended? So... Let me know your thoughts. Drop me in the chat you know that we have going right now, or send me a message on LinkedIn. Here at the bottom, you certainly can see how you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. So just one more thing. The unsung heroes of L&D. Yes, I wanted to take the time in our episode today to mention an unsung hero of the amazing learning and development space. Our unsung hero today is someone I had the pleasure of traveling the U.S. with for six weeks learning about his company's amazing learning culture, as well as meeting the men and women that made this operation truly operate so smoothly. This gentleman has served the l d world in many roles since 2006. Our unsung hero today of l is my friend, Jeff Brown, a divisional training manager with Dollar General. So Jeff, I just want to say congratulations. And I also want to say thank you for all you do each and every day for the men and women on the front line of your organization. Well, now you're all caught up.
1: Hey, Josh, it's JD,
0: Uh, it's going great over here at the conference, but could you mention
1: the book on the show this week if you don't mind?
0: Well, of course, JD, the modern learning ecosystem is funny, accessible, informative, wise, digestible, practical, and actionable. Not my words, those are just words from one of the most recent reviews of JD's book, The Modern Learning Ecosystem. This book is packed with tips and tricks from his 20-year career in corporate operations and talent development, including tons of Disney stories. If you know J.D., there's always going to be a Disney story involved. So grab your copy today at jdwroteabook.com. And now, let's welcome today's in-the-know guest, Mr. Bob Moser. Bob has been an active and influential leader in the learning and training industry for more than 30 years and is renowned worldwide for his pioneering role in new approaches to learning. He's the founding partner and chief learning evangelist at Apply Synergies, a five moments of need company that specializes in helping learning professionals design, develop, maintain, and measure effective learning and performance support through the five moments of need framework and the Enable methodology. Bob has worked with a wide range of organizations, including clients such as McDonald's, Bank of America, Herman Miller, Hitachi, Disney, Universe, Disney University, Progressive Insurance, Humana, um, ExxonMobil. Bob Mosier, you're in the know.
1: <laughs> thanks, Josh. Appreciate the invite. I always wish my kids could hear that introduction. You know, they, they think I was, it made something myself as I've gotten older in my career. But so great to be here. Appreciate the invite.
0: No, thanks so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us today. So let's jump right in by addressing the biggest objection L&D people often face from their operations partners. We don't have time for learning. God, Bob, we hear it time and time again. Now, that's a funny statement, given that people are always learning, at least in our minds, just by doing their jobs. But I think this statement says a lot about the disconnect between L&D and the organization. So how does the statement, we don't have time for learning, reflect an organization's current mindset? when it comes to L&D? Yeah, well, I, in
1: there lies the rub, right? I mean, what, what they're basically saying is they don't have time for our stuff, right? They, to your point, Josh, they always have time for learning. They're Every day they're trying to perform. Every day they are learning while doing, right? With, what they're saying is that they have, they have viewed us as something that is seen outside of that. They have to stop to consume, right? And, and that, that's a very telling statement about how we target what we do and the way in which we position ourselves in the enterprise is how we support them at the moment of need and the moment of performance. Right. So if they see ourselves as something that is outside of their time, that means they see it outside of work. That means they see the work they do. They see it outside of supporting the work that they do. Right. And, and it's an add on to things. My dad always said, you know, there's no, you always have time for things that are important. Right. But when we say these, I don't have time for what I'm basically saying, frankly, is. In my priorities of the day and what I think are most valuable to me of the day and what I think is going to get me um, the most out of my day, uh, that's not something I have time for. So we have to be awful careful in how we position ourselves around that.
0: It's so interesting. So so many organizations still approach workplace learning as if it was school, putting people in specific places in order to complete specific activities. I mean, just think about today. We're doing less classroom-based stuff than we did in 2019. Because now the classrooms online, it's on Zoom, it's on e-learning programs, it's on LinkedIn Live, wherever it might be. But after people complete those activities and leave those places, their experience with LMD is usually done. And mm-hmm. they forget about most of what they've learned because that's just how our memory works as humans. So why do LMD teams fail to focus on transfer and sustainment after investing so much time, effort? and ultimately money on training programs.
1: Yeah, well, the interesting thing is, you know, I've been in this business actually 40 years. Last September, I celebrated my 40th year in education. And and, uh, what I've seen all along, my friend, is that we get enamored by modality, not necessarily methodology. And so, yeah, we've moved online. We got virtual. We got LXPs. We got all these cool things. But the reality is, as my dad would say, it's lipstick on a pig. You know, you still have a pig. Um, No offense to pigs, by the way. You know, and and, and so what I think we have to be careful of in this whole thing is they have to realize that workplace learning is exactly that and learners would prefer it. There's tons of research going on around now about post-pandemic reactions and so on. And people are like, look, the more it can be contextualized while I work, the better that I have time for. I don't have time to stop that and learn. And they can it, and, and don't be fooled. Stop means cognitively. It doesn't mean. Um, um, location-wise, right? So if I have to stop my work to look at a window or if I have to stop my work to hop on a blog, or if I have to stop my work to go into a virtual thing, I am still leaving the workplace and finding time to do something and not moving into the world of sustainment and transfer where we really should live and begin our design and our work from.
0: So it's interesting because when I think about it and I just process it here for a second, you know, we already struggle to get people away from the operation. And let's just say the operation could be, whether it's a busy meeting schedule or a frontline position behind a deli counter. Yep. To engage with learning programs. Like I hear it time and time again, you know, the time that I spent with Jeff Brown, you know, from Dollar General, you, you go into the stores just that are amazing operations. And it was, how do we get the people away? So if we want to promote transfer and sustainment, yep. L&D needs to engage with the workforce more often. So the question I pose to you is: Which L and D tactics are best suited to promoting sustainment, ensuring truly the best possible return on the money spent that training investment made? Yeah, we
1: well, how's this for provocative? It starts by getting out of the training business. You know, we mm. we we got to get out of the training and into the performance business if we want to have our learners. And we want to move into into transfer and sustain. We have to move into where that happens, and that's in the workflow. You know, any we have to get out of the event mentality that you stop your what you're doing to engage us. We have to move into the world that they're engaged in, which is their work, and help them learn while doing. Now, it, I, I, I'm a big word guy. I'm a big definition guy. And when it comes to workflow learning, there's a there's a word I see thrown in there, or two words that make it that, that I think. Change the definition considerably. Having um, learning and support available in the workflow is different than having learning and performance support available while working in the workflow. In is an, in is an interruption. While is, is while I'm doing it. And so if we want to meet them in the world of transfer and sustain, that happens while they are doing their work. So we have to move our deliverables, our modality, our design, our content into the context of the flow So people are able to consume it and don't realize they're stopping to learn. They don't make time for it because they're just trying to get through their day. We have to, we have to meet them in that sweet spot in our work.
0: Right. So often I'm just guessing, and, and, you know, we have to take the word workflow and we have to really split it. Right. And talk about the work and what's the actual flow of the work. And it's different for each person that's there. So something I'm definitely going to focus on. So at Exonify. You know, when I think about, you know, our focus is so much on the line worker, you know, mm-hmm. people who work in heavily managed roles in industries like retail, grocery, and food service, let's sure. face it, they don't have a lot of options, right? They don't get to come to work and be like, this is what I'm going to do as a frontline worker today. No, their role is there. It, it, it's, it's been established. So the yeah. day-to-day reality for these employees is different when compared to someone like myself who works from home in front of a computer all day and talks to people amazing people like yourself on a camera, but many L and D teams support employees who do their jobs in a variety of different ways. Mm -hmm. So what does it mean to design for context instead of content?
1: Yeah, I I think we get fooled by um, that word context, you know, and, and so every job has a workflow. It does because a workflow is made up of two things. A workflow is made up of the tasks that are performed in the day and those tasks, or, or a word we like to use nowadays, we might call them skills. Skills very hot right now, right? So a task is a skill. You group, you take a group of tasks and you put them into a into 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 an order of completing something. A task in itself doesn't complete something. Tasks together complete something. That would be called a skill set, skill skill set, or a work or a process within a workflow. And so we, what, we, what, we, what we get confused in L&D is because of the randomness of tasks sometimes or the randomness of processes or skill sets, we kind of say we can't design for that because it's too individual. You're confusing consumption with availability and, and, and context. If we create a workflow map, we create a workflow map in our work for every single role from frontline, you know, retail worker to a leader on the 28th floor in the C-suite they go come in every day to perform tasks in a flow of work and so if we want to understand context in which to and this is where we've missed you guys if we want to understand that the context in which we put our content into we have to intimately analyze and understand the true workflow that's done every day not job roles not competencies those are an element of it but i'm talking about on the ground every day what do you do to get your job done Um, tasks, skills, skill sets, processes. And once I understand that context, and I know it gets jarbled, I know people approach it from different ways, but it is still the workflow. And once I understand that, I can build assets and technologies and things that live in it and support it as people need it and and go through it.
0: So I've known you for a long time, right? Uh, This (laughs) isn't the first time that we've been on a webcast together. Uh, It was pre-pandemic when we connected last time. But one word I've heard you use a lot that I don't hear much in the, like, in other workplace learning conversations is criticality. Mm. What is criticality as related to work tasks a and how deal. should it inform our solution? It's a big deal.
1: You know, we, we, we put SMEs in a room to help us design our courses, subject matter experts. Uh, stop doing that uh, or stop having them be the only person in the room, right? An SME is what people, we, what people want to become. They are not the true learner, frankly, right? So where I'm going with this, you guys, is that that we because they want to design around importance. And by the way, to them, everything is. And therefore, guess what? Everything's in the course. Criticality is a very different thing when it comes to workflow, because what I'm going to try to do in my design is minimize the training footprint, if have one at all, and do as much immersive while learning, while working learning as I can possibly enable. Now, the reality is it, it can't all be done that way. But I'm going to go there as, as, as best I can. But what helps me get there, Josh, is your question, and that is criticality, and particularly criticality of failure. Not importance, but criticality of failure. If something hurts someone or others or you know, they lose their job, I'm not going to let someone learn that while doing, frankly. I'm going to train that. But there is so much of the work that based on it not being that critical, we have, we have a seven step rubric of criticality from inconsequential to catastrophic. And if it's not going to hurt you, I'm going to help you and enable you to learn while doing in, in a safe um, and, and, and supported way. So criticality is the pivot, not importance, not all they should know. Um, it, it's, it's the criticality of what happens in the workflow and supporting people in the appropriate way.
0: So what you're saying is I need to take the word, put it in Google Sheets or whatever, docs, and just print it off big and put it right above my computer. Like that's Absolutely. the focus that we need to have. Got it. Yeah. So, many L and D professionals are probably familiar with the idea of sustainment. We're making mm-hmm. an assumption, but I believe that's the case. But it often falls off the table as we run short on time and especially resources in today's world when building learning programs. So, this means we have to move sustainment forward in our priorities. Love that we want to get to the best possible value from our learning investment. Yeah. But the question I have for you in regards to that is. How can shifting to a sustained first approach help organizations solve familiar problems, such as reducing time, improving outcomes and onboarding, and just being more effective in the end?
1: Well, isn't that the definition of sustainment? Right. I mean, we're supposed to be in the enabling, empowering business, empowerment business. I love your words earlier. Eliminate, engage, empower. I wrote them down on a sticky on my monitor. Right. And and in the end, it's about empowerment. If we if that's not what if that's not what we what we get when we do what we do, then I I think our work is moot. Right. Mm. It's just getting in the way. It's just noise. Right. So so if you build from my point is, friend, to your question, if we we build for sustainment after and training first. And, and we barely have time to do that or resources to do that. Let me let me throw a throw a, a curveball at you. What if you sure. build for sustain what if you build for sustainment first and then trained if you have to? It, it sounds like a like a, like a like a bizarre flip, but it will change right. the way you design what you do. Right? So if I build I wrote an article a while, while ago that said, do we teach swimming or prevent drowning? And and, and, and the moral of the story is, right? Do, do, we, do, we, do, we, do we design first for sustainment? Right for them to, to for them to 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 professionally grow and become empowered, eliminate love that eliminate the training footprint as much as I can, so that they become. If that's my if that's my modus operandi, I will build training very differently and on average half as much as you do now, if not less. So right, right. That, there's your time, there's your resources that you don't have now. But if we if we focus on training first, you will never have time for workflow learning ever because you got to yeah. build this huge thing first. Just flip it around. Build for sustainment first. It will change the way
0: you design. It's interesting you bring it up. You know, last, uh, I guess last week, I just wrote an article, you know, should learning culture be by design or by default,
1: right? Mm, And when we think about
0: that, that, you know, I think often organizations just allow their learning culture to be by default. And it just gets back to your point, right? In regards to what we were just discussing around the sustainment, that is by design. We have to do it by design. If we allow it to be by default, we are really not going to accomplish those goals. Yeah, and, and
1: it's interesting. Someone, I see a chat over here. Someone wrote a question about, you know, is this, does this move up into you know director level and above and those types of things? Because one of the biggest myths about soft skills is that they're just that. They're, 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 I, I was helping redesign a leadership program once and a leader in the room said, this is anything but soft. This is hard. Sure. Leading is super hard, right? But guess what? It is task-based. A leader exemplifies leadership through the tasks, here we go, that they perform not sitting in a chair and dreaming about empathy or I should be a good listener. No, they they throw themselves into the work every day with the people that they lead and they lead through example, which means they lead through performing, which means they lead through tasks, Mm -hmm. right? So we can, we, we can pick every job apart. We've done this hundreds of times by the tasks that are performed. Sure. It's supported by some abstract stuff. I get that. But in the end, I good listening skills manifest through how I do them. And there are, by the way, steps to do them, right? Oh, so so, so we got to bring a, alignment in, into this whole idea and, and to your, your sustainment point about helping leaders and others sustain in the flow of leading, not the seven pillars of leadership, competency models. Well, I keep go on and on.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's <laughs> uh, a great point. So we start our conversation with the biggest objection L&D pros get from our partners within operations. So let's wrap up maybe on the positive. So let's wrap up with perhaps the most common sentence L&D pros hear from their stakeholders. How should L&D professionals respond when a stakeholder opens a conversation with, we need training on dot, 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 in order to provide more value to the business?
1: I, you know, I love that question. And by the way, it, it, this, is a, this is a very, I think, a very positive conversation because it, 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 it gets us to where we've always wanted to be, right? In the sweet spot of performance, right? So when someone asks that, guys, they're flipping the means and the ends. We've taught them to come in asking for the, for the prescription to the problem. We haven't taught them to come in and talk about the problem first, right? So whenever someone comes in and gives me that, I'm like, okay, like let's get to the five day or whatever later. In the end, how will you know this worked? When, when, when whatever we build is done, how will you know that that we have good leaders and, 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 what, what, and, and what drove you to come in here to ask for anything in the first place? You had to see something happening or want something to happen. Let's 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 pivot there and talk there, because that's the ROI and that's the itch to be scratched, not the if you build five days of X, then I'll get Y. No, let's talk about why first. We're, we're, we're one of the few professions, my friend, that people walk in and pre-prescribe the deliverable. I don't go into a doctor and say, I want non-Advil because my arm hurts. You know, I, I go in and say, my arm's killing me. Go, right? We've got to get in that world of something's wrong in my business or I want the following behavior change to happen. Go get me there. That that, that's, that puts the card ahead of the. I want five days of anything. We got to get out of the delivery business and into the performance business.
0: No, and what you say is what I love about Exonify. To be honest, you know, when we think about creating questions, we always focus on what's the business goal. Yeah. Right? Focus on why exactly. business need this. So, well, Bob, thanks for again for joining us on ITK. We spent the last few minutes reinforcing, obviously, the importance of sustainment. So, of course, we need to offer our friends an opportunity to dig deeper and build their sustainment practices. So, how can people contact, get in contact with you, learn more about these ideas, and follow the great work you're doing with oh, your team thank at?
1: You yeah, the easiest way probably is LinkedIn, frankly. Many of you are probably watching this on right now. I gotta, you can reach me there. And also, we do have five moments of need with the number five five moments of all one word, where all the things I've talked about, other resources, ebooks,
0: podcasts are available as well. That's great. And Bob, as a total of our appreciation from the ITK team, we'd like to make a donation to a charity of your choice.
1: This is spectacular. Uh, Heifer's International, friends, is our favorite. It's a remarkable. Talk about enablement, right? They're all about um, helping uh, third world countries and, and, and folks, not by just giving them things, but by teaching them to sustain. How's that? And empower themselves. Uh, We sponsor multiple animals that go into these organizations that they help them. It's just really remarkable. So appreciate that um, in supporting those efforts. That's awesome.
0: Well, thanks again to Bob Moser for sharing his insights into the importance of sustainment and workplace learning. Recently, Bob just released his 2023 ebook, and I would encourage you to check it out to learn more. It includes links to many podcasts and case studies.
1: Hey, Josh, it's JD. Uh, Don't forget about my book.
0: Oh, yes, JD, but seriously, the feedback has been awesome about JD's new book, The Modern Learning Ecosystem. So if you want to check it out, find out all the details at jdwroteabook.com. Well, if you had a good time, be sure to subscribe to ITK. Head over to Exonify.com slash ITK to sign up for show announcements and reminders. You can also check out the entire ITK collection on Exonify YouTube channel or listen to it and listen to In the Know on your favorite podcast app. JD's back for the next ITK in two weeks. He'll be joined by Sean Conungo, disruption strategist, virtual keynote legend, and author of the brand new book, The Bold Ones. Sean's gonna explain why the best way to get ahead in your career is to get yourself fired. He's also going to help us shift our perspective on disruption from a big, scary force into a personal strategy for success. Sign up now for what is sure to be a high-energy conversation when J.D. and Sean Canongo visit with us on Wednesday, March 1st at 1130 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Until next time, I've been Josh Felix. Now you're in the know. And always remember to ask yourself the important question like, why is everything that goes by water cargo? and by land shipments. I'll see you next time.